Father, I thank you for the men. And I thank you that you've called us to be male and to use our maleness to be great leaders and servants. And may everything that's said and sung and done today just really make you smile, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks. Thanks. There, there is something that all of us in the room share in common. And every one of us in this room, uh, whether we're 13 or whether we're 103, Every one of us in the room, whether we're male or female, no matter what our backgrounds are, all of us in this room, we all share a desire for greatness. All of us in this room have had this desire and keep a desire for greatness within our life. And we recognize greatness. Whenever we see greatness, we recognize it. And deep within our hearts, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in this room, we have a desire for greatness. I remember as a little boy in Indiana playing basketball till dark. My mom would have to beg me to come in. It's pitch black, and I'm shooting hoops, shooting hoops, shooting hoops. And every night I'm out there, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming about playing for Purdue. I'm dreaming about playing for the Indiana Pacers. I'm dreaming about, we all have dreams. Every boy, every girl, every man, every woman in this room, there's a desire deep within us for greatness. And we recognize it. When we see greatness, we recognize it. I want to show you some pictures. Some of these people are dead, some of these people are alive, but they've all arrived at greatness, and there's something within us. Here's the first picture. We recognize that this man became a great president, whether you agree with his politics or not, it's not the point this morning, right? But he became a great president in America. This next picture, Steve Jobs, again, whether you agree or disagree with his family life or his work ethic, uh, he created products that we thought we had to have. And now we carry these in our pockets or we use these in our desks. And this man achieved uh, incredible greatness. Here's another gentleman. These are all men because it's Father's Day. How many of you do not know who this is? This is a great neurosurgeon, Dr. Ben Carson. And again, whether you agree with his politics or not, he's become a, a famous pediatric neurosurgeon and has saved the lives of numerous children with incredible surgeries, Dr. Ben Carson. Here's another man of greatness, Billy Graham. What, what an icon. I look at that picture, it just overwhelms me with emotion. Here's a man who's been faithful to Christ, faithful to his wife, He's been deceased now for over 11 years. Here's a man who's just been a faithful icon in America. And he arrived at incredible greatness. What a great preacher he is. The next man, a little different than Billy Graham, but, but he's great, isn't he? I mean, you think about Joe. I mean, we got a coach who's winning with, you know, good, talented players, but not a great payroll. And yet here's a man who has really done a great job with, with our Tampa Bay Rays. I'm fired up about the Rays, by the way. You fired up about the Rays? You should be. You should be. So you look at all those different men, and, and they arrived at, at, at greatness. Now, here's what I'm trying to say this morning. You not only have a desire for greatness, you have great dreams of greatness. Nobody in this room woke up and said, you know what? I think I'm going to live a life. I'm going to be a loser. I think I want to live a loser life. I don't want to live a great life. I want to be a loser. 
Nobody on the day they get married, I've done hundreds of weddings, nobody on the day they get married has ever pulled me aside and said, you know what, Pastor, I don't think it's going to be all that good. I don't think we're going to have a great marriage. I I give us six months tops, you know. Nobody's ever come home from the hospital with that bundle of joy, that seven pounds, 11 ounces, whatever. No one's ever come home from the hospital and said, you know what, I'm not going to be a good mom. I'm not going to be a good dad. My kid's going to be in therapy the next 50 years of their life. You know, that may be true, but nobody's ever said that. Everybody within them has a desire for greatness. And when you get married, you want to have a great marriage. When you have kids, you want to be a great parent. No matter what your job is, your calling, your school, your education, you want to be great at what you do. Now, where does that come from? That comes from your heavenly father. Your heavenly father placed that inside of you. Because in the Garden of Eden, everything was great. Everything was great. Adam and Eve were great. Adam and Eve had a great marriage. They didn't have to worry about was the, you know, the temperature too hot? Was the temperature too cold? You know, Adam never said, you know, gosh, she talks all the time. My gosh, how come she talks? And she never said, how come he grunts all the time? That never happened. In the garden, you know, there was perfect balance. They were horticulturists. They were agriculturists. Everything worked well in the garden. That's where that desire for greatness comes from. And inside of you, God has created inside of you a desire for you to do whatever it is you're doing, to do it extremely, extremely well. Now, we all understand when greatness gets out of control, there's abuse, there's murder, there's greed, there's theft. Greatness out of control creates kind of these pictures. And we all understand that. We know that when greatness goes a wall, we have the abuse of power. We have the abuse of people. And all three of these different gentlemen in different ways and different fashions have, have betrayed and have hurt and have done a lot of damage. But I want to talk about greatness today from you. I want to talk about greatness today that God has in store for you. It's a little unusual message in the church But I think God's called every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to be great at what you do and to do it better and better and better. Now, it's a topic that Jesus often addressed. In fact, Jesus was constantly trying to clearly communicate and clarify and give some course corrections on what greatness looked like. And the disciples were always arguing with each other who was the greatest. And Jesus had to go and talk to them about greatness on on many different occasions. But in Matthew chapter 18, that's where I want to start this morning. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus and they're asking this question of greatness. And so Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they ask, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's on everybody's mind. Everybody wants to be great. Am I, am I wrong about that? Everybody wants to do great. Everybody wants to have great things. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than them, something greater than them. And so the disciples are coming to Jesus because Jesus has been clarifying for them all along what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Because greatness in the kingdom of God and greatness in the kingdom of the world are not the same. 
And so the disciples like to start following Jesus because Jesus made them great. Jesus made them popular. Jesus like put them on the map, so to speak. And the disciples now are are just feeling good about themselves. And so they're still not understanding totally why they're following Jesus. As they come to Jesus with this question, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Mark chapter 9, we see a couple of these different questions that they've been asking him all along. They came to Capernaum, Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys, this is the 12, what were you guys arguing about on the road? Look at the next verse. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. You have anybody in your family who thinks they're the greatest? You got anybody at your office who thinks they're the greatest? You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things well. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great at what you do. What Jesus is trying to clarify is what greatness looks like inside the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 20, just a funny story to me. In Matthew chapter 20, let's go to there for just hang on that verse for just a second. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28 together. But in Matthew chapter 20, you've got a mom bringing her two sons to Jesus. Now, we don't exactly know how old these two sons are. It says, in the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. So here's James and John's mom. And the boys are maybe 31, 32, 33 years old. I mean, how embarrassing, guys, would this be? You got your mother. I mean, can't you just see them? They're holding their hand. They're going to go see their mom. Their mom comes to Jesus, and she's making this request because they know there's something unique about Jesus. And so this mom is now coming and saying, I want my boys to be great. Nothing wrong with that, is there? But I want my boys to be great in your kingdom, Jesus. And so she comes and she's asking Jesus to do a favor. And I want to just tell you a quick story about our student pastor, Stephen Law. Stephen Law, when he was 23 years old, he's now 25, when he was applying for it, it was his first job. He graduated from Southeastern School. And so he's got an interview with Jonathan and Dean and I. He's out in the lobby. And that particular afternoon, Stephen, who's now our middle school pastor, he had a car accident. And so he couldn't get to the interview. He calls Jonathan and said, I'm so sorry. It's like a final interview. I've never met him. Dean never met him. But I can't get to the interview. And so could somebody come pick me up? I said, I got this one. I got it. I got it. I'm going to ask these boys in a car accident. This is the time to ask him some hard questions. He'll be rattled. So I want to see what he's made of. So I go, show up. He's about 20 minutes away. And he's leaning up against the wall at Walgreens. And um, I see him. I said, oh, okay, he's, got a, he's got a hearing aid. That's no big deal, but he's got a hearing aid. I get a little bit closer, and he's, it's not a hearing aid. He's cut his ear. He's cut his ear. He's got blood coming out of his ear. And then I looked at him and said, he's, he's got dandruff. He's got dandruff all over his shoulders. I thought, man, the kid needs a job. He can't even afford shampoo. So we'll, you know, see if he can get a job. It's glass. It's glass off the side window. He doesn't have dandruff. He's got a cut ear. He's got glass all over him. And so then I take him back to the church, and Dean and Jonathan and I are interviewing him over here in the lobby. The lobby's full of people. It's got a basketball clinic here. Parents are picking up everybody. And so we're interviewing 
for 45 or 50 minutes. And I said, what are you going to do, by the way? How are you going to get home? He said, well, my parents are coming to pick me up. I said, oh, good. Well, when they get here, I'd like to meet them. He said, oh, they're here. I said, how do you know? Well, I heard my mom's ringtone. You heard your mom's ringtone? Yeah. Basketball, people, clinic. I said, all right, let's go meet her. This is the funniest thing in the world. This is his first big time interview in his entire life. And his mother rushes over to him, wraps her arms around him, just starts kissing him. I'm just, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm loving it. We're loving He terms crimson. Stephen terms, we're going to hire that boy. I don't even know we have a job for him. We're going to hire him. He's got a great mom. He's got blood all over him. He, he wants the job. And all during the interview, all during the interview, he's just stoving up. He's like, Ugh. are you sure you're okay with this? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh. By the end of the interview, he can barely move. So when his mom hugs him, he can't even lift his arms up, you know. They take him to the hospital, and we hired him. He's a great kid. <laughs> it fits with middle school, doesn't it? Totally. So after about a year, we hired him to be our middle school pastor, and he's in the zone for that. Well, here's the mom. Here's James and John's mom. And they come, they're 31, 32, 33 years old. I just think this is funny. So the mother of the baby's sons came to Jesus and with her sons kneeling down and asked a favor. Look at verse 21. What is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, well, I want you to grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other one at your left in your kingdom. What a request. Verse 22. Look at this. Jesus is polite, but he's basically saying, sweetheart, you don't have a clue. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? In other words, to be where you just asked, there's an incredible price to pay. Can, can you Drink the cup, and they answer, we can. They don't know what they're answering to, do they? Do you want the job? We do. Do you know what's required? We don't. They're just saying, we can. Look at the next verse. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. And what does he mean? You're going to suffer because you're going to be a part of me. The greatness in my kingdom has an incredible high price. You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left, guys, it's not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they handled it well and said, no big deal, right? How'd this go over with the ten? It didn't go over too well. Jesus is trying to help these guys understand what greatness is all about, and they don't have a clue. They were indignant with the two brothers. Verse 25. Jesus called them together. This is like one of those team meetings. Have you had family meetings? When nobody's kind of getting it, you call everybody together. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. This is a family. This is a family team meeting. Jesus called the 12 together and said, guys, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. That's how the kingdoms of the world work, right? It's all based on power. It's all based on who's got the biggest stick, who's got the biggest might. Jesus is saying, guys, you know how this works in the, in the world. You know the rulers, the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26, but not so with you. This is how my kingdom's different. I want you guys to be great, but I'm going to define greatness. I'm going to clarify what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. Not, not so with you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Must be your servant. Verse 27. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And here's why. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Again, it's a similar topic. It's a similar conversation. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, uh, Jesus again tells us that they still don't understand what greatness looks like. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24 that a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered, now just hold on to this verse for a second, to be the greatest. Now, can you imagine having this conversation? See, we're post-resurrection. Can you imagine having this conversation, though, pre-resurrection? And Jesus is going, guys, what are you not getting? How can you not see that my kingdom and what greatness looks like in my kingdom is different? And so, men, this is where we come in today. As men inside the kingdom of God, it's different. We're servants, we're leaders, we love, we honor, we protect. We do whatever we can to build up. As leaders inside, we are are great according to what God's called greatness to be. A dispute arose to which one's going to be the greatest. You know why I think this takes place? I think because Peter, at this point, is rising in prominence. Three amazing things have just happened in Peter's life. Number one, the dude gets out of the boat and he walks on water. How cool would that be, right? So first of all, Peter gets incredible notoriety because Jesus comes walking out in the fourth watch of the night, and there he thinks he's a ghost, and everybody's freaking out. Jesus said, said, come. And so Peter gets out and he walks on water. Number two, Jesus asks Peter and a couple other guys to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they see Jesus glorified. So Peter gets to walk on water. Peter gets to see Jesus glorified. And number three, Jesus even pays his temple tax. Never noticed that before until this week. Jesus, it was time for Jesus to pay the temple tax. He tells Peter, go to a lake, pull out the first fish, open up the fish, you'll find a coin inside the fish. And Jesus said, that'll pay my tax and yours. I never noticed that before until this week. I never noticed that Jesus actually paid Peter's temple tax. So three amazing things are taking place. Peter's just rising in prominence. So they're going to have this discussion. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call them benefactors. The next verse. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. And so Jesus is talking about greatness in the kingdom of God. Who is greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who's at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. If you're fairly new to our church, maybe you missed the statue out in the lobby, but we have the coolest statue of any church in the entire world. And that statue out there is a picture, a statue of Jesus washing Simon Peter's feet. Jesus is washing his feet. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. 
So I want to talk for just a couple of minutes about what greatness is not. I want to start off with saying, let's put some feet to this, because a lot of you in this room right now are going, you know what, I got some pushback with this. Because in my world, let me tell you what greatness looks like. If you want to be good and you want to be great in my world, this is how you got to act. This is how you got to be. This is how you, how you got to think. I, I want to tell you what greatness is not. First of all, greatness is not not being good at what you do. That's being lazy. That's being incompetent. That, that's being slothful. Greatness is not that you don't go to school and study and work hard. It's not, greatness is not that every day you go to work and you try to you don't try to get better at it. Greatness is not if you're a, a young mom or a new mom or a grandma or a grandpa or a new dad. Greatness is not learning how to be a better father or to be a better grandfather. That's just checking out. That, that's not got anything to do with greatness. And so greatness in the kingdom of God is not that you're not very good at what you do. You see, as believers... This is your platform. Our platform is is that we get really good at what we do. And when we get really good at what we do, then the world notices that God is at work. Something supernatural is going on because I know you're not that good. And when something supernatural is going on, the world like takes notice. And so when you get good at what you do, it is a platform for the world to notice that something supernatural is going on in your life. And so Christians that are lazy, shame on you. Christians that are incompetent in what they do, shame on you. As Christians, as believers, we ought to be better and better and more skilled and more skilled because we have the power of God's Holy Spirit to make us better at what we do. And so it doesn't really matter what God's called you to do. What really matters is, is that you get better at it and your skills grow and increase day after day, month after month, year after year. I, I get choked up looking at that picture of Billy Graham. Because you see him as a young man, he was a good preacher, but then over the decades and you see him, he just got better and better and better and more skilled and more skilled. And so in your life, what is it that God's called you to do? Are you a mom? Read books on it. Go to small groups and connect groups. Become the greatest mom you can possibly be. As dads, as men in this room, if you're a dad, are you a better dad today than you were two years ago? How do we get better at being better dads? And so our our skills are our platform for the world to take notice that something really cool and supernatural is going on inside of our lives. And so we ask God, Lord, make me really good at this. Help me to get better at this. You've given me skills to do this. If, if you run a small business, if you run a lawn service, your lawns ought to be the best in Pinellas County. If you run a pool service, you as a believer ought to have the finest and the greatest pool service in all of Pinellas County. If you're a carpenter, if you're a butcher, if, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a preacher, if you're a salesperson, if you're a school teacher, 
You ought to be the best. And you ought to be getting better and better and better every single year. This is our platform. This is how the world takes notice. In fact, the Bible says, let your deeds, let your good deeds shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not for your glory. Become great at what you do. And then you deflect that glory. Become great at what you do. And you reflect then the glory of God. And so greatness is not incompetence. Greatness is not slothfulness. Greatness is not showing up late, leaving early, and just doing a pitiful job. That's not greatness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is all the things he's called you and me to do and all the things he's called you and me to be. And there's not just one thing. Maybe it's grandparenting. Maybe you're a boat captain. That's why I'm still praying God's will for my life. I'll be a great boat captain. I will. Whatever it is God's called you to do, this is what you do. So greatness is not that you're doing it for yourself. Greatness is not that you're doing it just, you know, to get by in life. Greatness is greatness. Was Jesus great? Nobody had ever taught like Jesus. Were the disciples, did they become great? Scriptures tell us that everybody recognized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. But they recognized that they had been in the presence of Christ. And Christ made them great. Well, so greatness is not all those things. That's not it at all. Well, what is greatness? Well, again, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, the disciples asked this question. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And verse 2, Jesus just floors them. They did not see this one coming. Jesus called a little child. They pulled a little kid out of, the, out of the community. And he had a little child come and probably sit on his lap. He calls a little child. He placed a little child among them. Look at verse 3. And he says this. He says, I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is he talking about here? What, what does this mean? Unless you change and become like a little child. Um, about a week and a half ago, we had um, family comp- company, and um, you, I, many of you know that Danita lost her brother a couple years ago. He passed away with cancer at 51. And so since then, there have been two brand new babies born into our family. And um, I think Olivia is about 15 months, and Tanner's now about um, eight or nine months. And so it's just, it's breathed new life. In, into, into our family. And so la- last weekend, um, we had uh, Olivia, and she's a 15-month-old, and, and she and her mom are in the kitchen, in our kitchen, and they're having a discussion, and I don't know what it was about, food and junk food or whatever, and mama said no. And so little Olivia then just pitter-patters goes, and she goes to find her dad. And he's in the living room, and he's six foot three, long, big guy. And she starts down, he's got, he's all stretched out. She starts down at his feet and she just starts climbing up his feet, climbing up his knees, climbing up over his stomach. And she lands on his chest. And, and I don't know, nobody knows what she's saying, but she was complaining about the, the, the mom, no doubt. Okay. And she's just, you know, mm, I want this, mm, I want this. 
But she found solace in her dad's chest. And he was just like, honey, you can't have that. Just be quiet. Just be quiet, you know. Just grunting. And typical man, typical father. But the daughter knew that she was loved. The daughter knew she was in a really, really good place. And I thought to myself, that's what Jesus is talking about. This child can't even communicate, but this child has absolute faith that her daddy's going to take care of her. And what Jesus is saying here is, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You put your trust in me. Just like a child, a child says, okay, I love you. I'm loyal to you. I'm faithful to you. And Jesus has a little child and says, this childlike faith makes you great. Well, I want to encourage all of us in this room. Because all of us in this room can be great. All of us in this room, no matter what your pain, no matter what your problems, no matter what your circumstances are in life, all of us in this room, we can absorb greatness in the kingdom of God by saying, not my will, but yours be done. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Of course, it starts off really there, unless you change, which is the word for repentance, which means you change your mind, you change your behavior, change your mind, change your behavior. And Jesus is talking about getting into the kingdom. What's the kingdom look like? What's the kingdom about? And so guys, on our bulletin, I've got four different components of what I think greatness is. And these are all starts with, they just happen to start with S. I'm not trying to do that for any slick reason. They just all start with S today. But these, this is what I think greatness is. So here's the very first one. The first one is greatness in the kingdom of God is to surrender. And this is what Jesus just said in Matthew 18, verse 3. That unless you change and become like a little guy. So the first thing that we do as men is, is, is what I, if I want to be great, and if you want to be great, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. I surrender. Number two is we serve. We learn to serve. Jesus Christ took a towel and a basin of water, and he served the disciples. Nobody were washing their feet before the meal. And Jesus served them, and he served them, and he served them. And the Son of Man came not to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve. Now just imagine, guys, if we really became servants. And you know, when a man becomes a servant, a man changes the atmosphere and the attitude of every environment he goes into. I'm going to say that again. When a man doesn't come in, kick the doors open like John Wayne, I'm here, serve me, I'm big, I'm bad, bowed up, bucked up, it's all about me. When a man comes in, still strong. Jesus was still the king of kings, for heaven's sakes. He was still God of the universe. It didn't change his position, but he changed the attitude and the atmosphere of every environment he was in. And so, guys, when we serve, what can I do to help you? I mean, I'm I'm still the leader at this church. With the staff, I ask them on a regular basis, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Same thing at home. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? And I want to tell the students in the room, the teenagers in the room, parents, just put your fingers in both ears for just a second. But teenagers, if you will go home and you will start asking mom and dad, what can I do to help you? Now, first of all, have 911 on speed dial because they're going to pass out and have a heart attack. But if you will start asking that question, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? It will change the atmosphere and the attitude of your home. And this is what we do. We learn to serve. It's not about us. 
Jesus said, the greatest among you, the greatest man in this room is the one who's learned to serve, right? There's a third component of greatness, and that's to seek him. Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, so we seek you. So tomorrow morning, before you get out of bed, God, what's your will today? God, what's your will today? God, how do you want me to serve you today? God, I'm your servant. I'm seeking you. What is it that I can do today? What can I do today? Number four is this. We learn to use our strengths. We learn to use our strengths. And you've been given so many gifts. And my encouragement, men, is that you learn to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Stronger emotionally, stronger mentally, stronger spiritually, stronger psychologically, stronger and stronger with your gifts, whatever it is your area of expertise is and you're working on, whether you're a small business, you're running a big business, whether you're a grandfather, whatever it is you're doing, you use your strengths to help build the kingdom of God. Tomorrow as we take off and go to Managua, I'm going to be with a very good friend of mine, the president of Walk Through the Bibles, Phil Tuttle. And I love Phil Tuttle. Phil Tuttle now is the president of Walk Through the Bible and just a great international leader and also a great leader in Atlanta, which is their home base. But Phil Tuttle's become very good friends with Dan Cathy, the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A. And so Phil Tuttle was telling me a story that just shocked him. So he goes to Chick-fil-A and takes the tour of Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. And they've got at Chick-fil-A there at the corporate headquarters, they've got this huge lunchroom. And um, Phil Tuttle was saying, it's not your normal cafeteria. It, it is truly an executive lunchroom. Incredible food. I think it's more than chicken they serve in there, but incredible food. And, and he said, they're there. And they got their food, and they're getting ready to walk through the, the lunch line. And, and it's filled with, you know, Dan Cathy's the CEO, president. It's filled with the CFO. Every executive officer meets in there at a certain time for lunch. There was a young lady, probably minimum wage worker, who was cleaning up somebody's stuff, had a tray full of glasses and, and cookware, and she tripped over a chair, and the thing just went flying. Phil said that the whole tray goes flying through the air. He can see the glasses and the plates. They all crash, food everywhere, shocks everybody. And Phil Tuttle said, I was just stunned. I just, I couldn't even move. It made so much noise. He said, and instantly, he said, these executives of Chick-fil-A, just start getting down on their hands and knees and picking up food. He said, Dan Cathy was running to, to, find, to find somebody to find a broom. He said, everybody was just moving. And Phil Tuttle said, it was the most amazing display of power and servanthood he said, I've ever seen in my life. Here's the most powerful people of that company who were humbly on their knees, on their on the ground, cleaning up, picking up. One of the executive officers picked up the poor girl. She's about to burst into tears. She thinks she's going to get fired. 
And he said he was just hugging her. It's, honey, it's okay. And we all make mistakes. Let me tell you about the time when I did this. And Phil Tuttle said, I was stunned to watch this amazing display of strong men humbly on their hands and knees picking up leftover food, broken plates, and broken dishes. You see, the reason that John the Baptist could say, he must increase and I must decrease. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because John the Baptist understood he was in the presence of greatness. And it didn't, it didn't demise John's role or John's responsibility. John had a, he was a great herald. He was a great forerunner of Christ. But he was a phenomenal servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that God wants you to be great. I know that. And I know greatness comes within the kingdom of God. It comes within what he's trying to say. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 is a verse that everybody should kind of put to remember. It says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, talking about John the Baptist, they're talking about anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. Think about that. If you're not a Christian today and you're the president of the United States or you're the chief executive officer for IBM or whomever or whatever, a minimum wage person who's been saved is greater than you in the kingdom of God. And so why not give your life to Christ? Why not surrender to Lord Jesus Christ? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I'm going to ask you to make a decision today. I'm going to ask you to make a decision, men, in this room. Let's go on their bulletin. You'll see this. I'm going to ask, I have decided to make Jesus Christ famous for the rest of my life. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's a big commitment. It's a huge commitment. You're going to either try to make yourself famous or you're going to try to make Jesus Christ famous. You have a choice today. And I'm asking every male in this room, and women, it's okay if you do this too, but it's Father's Day. I'm asking every male in this room, I'm going to decide that for the rest of my life, I'm going to, I'm going to do that for him. And I will do what? I will surrender to him. I will serve him. I will seek him. And I will use my strengths for him. Men, become great. Become great. And use your greatness for God. So I, again, I want to ask if you would just the guys to stand up, just every male in the room, would you stand up, men? And I'm, I'm going to, wow, look at all these dudes in the room today. That's so cool. Some of you guys even clean up pretty good. You do. I'm, I'm going to ask the Heavenly Father to touch your life in a phenomenal way. Will you join me in prayer, ladies? Let's pray for these guys. Almighty God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am, and we worship you today. Thank you for every one of these men in this room today. Help these men to surrender their lives to you, serve you, seek you, use their strengths for you. Help every man in this room to decide today and tomorrow and the next day that they will make you famous. 
and they will work really hard at getting good at what they do and need to do, but they'll also work really hard at giving you all the glory and all the credit, and that people will see your glory and your honor. Ladies, would you stand up with me as well? Ladies, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to go ahead and kind of get in front at this time, if you would. And uh, today, if you need and want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we encourage you today to come forward, confess Christ. I want, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Maybe today you're struggling vocationally or you're struggling relationally, and you don't feel like you're doing anything great. It's like, it's like nothing's great. And you really want somebody to pray with you and pray for you that you can be that great wife, that great husband, that great, incredible grandfather, that you can be that great small business leader or owner or computer software salesman, whatever it is you do, that you will maybe today ask somebody just to pray with you to help me to have a platform. I want to have a great platform. And I want to make Jesus famous. And I've worked at making me famous. I've tried to make me the bride at every wedding, the funeral at every corpse. But I want to be the corpse at every funeral. I want to be. I'm not great at this yet. I've still got room to improve, don't I? The corpse at every funeral. I, I, want, to, I want to be great. I want to be great for you because you're the king. I want to be great. So I'm going to close this in prayer. If you would like to come for special prayer. I also want you to know that there's, I don't know, 55 of you or so signed up for baptism next week. We're going to baptize all of Pinellas County, I think, next Sunday afternoon at Honeymoon Island Beach. I, I encourage you to do it. If you've never been baptized by immersion, go to the Connect desk right now and sign up. And we'll, uh, we'll baptize you next week in the Gulf of Mexico. All right, let's pray. How awesome you are. How awesome you are. It's so good to worship you, to honor you. We want to do this life well. We have one shot at this. Help us to do this well. Help every woman in this room to be a great woman of God. Help every man in this room to be a great man of God. Help all of us as men and women in this room to make you famous every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.